direction, no issues. Could you stand to your feet if you're part of a perfect family, please? I'm going to sit down. Anybody online part of a perfect family, just say, uh, that's me, just so we know. So if you are part of a perfect family, I don't, I thought for sure someone was going to stand up, actually. Uh, but, uh, all right, well, uh, here's the facts that we know. Christmas is only a couple days away. If that's news to you, you, you better get on Amazon quick. We all have family, but some may not be getting together with family. Uh, maybe you have no relationship with your family. Some get together with family and despise every minute of it. I'm just thankful that Arthur, Rachel, Tiffany didn't say amen to that. And others get together and love it and look forward to that time with family. Really, I came across an article from a bishop of the PAW church. PAW stands for Pentecostal Assemblies of the World. And I thought it was well written. And I thought, you know what? This really pertains to this time of year because we can make jokes about seeing family, getting along with family, in-laws and outlaws, and holiday discussions and more. But seeing that Wednesday night is principles for life, Wednesday nights are where we do a lot of series teaching, we do life teaching. Hopefully it's inspirational, but the goal is not always just inspiration. That's Sunday. On Wednesday, it is very much instruction. And so we like to look at principles for living life. And maybe instead of making jokes, we should actually look at the Word and see what the Bible has to say about family relationships. So for those who are getting together with family in just a couple days, those who are looking forward to it, those who are not looking forward to it, for those who regularly deal with tension, let's go ahead and be real tonight and dive into some worthwhile information heading into the holidays as we look at this topic of 10 biblical principles for dealing with conflict in the family. Now, you're all hoping for the best this Christmas. And so you're like, what? Conflict? But just think back to your last family Christmas, and there might be something there. And some of you are sitting together, you know? We got Jen and Amy here, and Leslie and Hannah back there. You know? You just might need this for each other this weekend. I don't know. but The family's possibly the greatest institution that God has ever created. I'll say it again. The family is possibly the greatest institution that God has ever created. It was designed to be a systematic social construct that provides love and peace, procreation, and healthy interaction. Solomon, in all his wisdom, warned us not to bring trouble to our family. Proverbs eleven twenty nine 29 says, those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind. The fool will be a servant to the wise. Huh. Our families should be honored protected and cherished. But guess what? Since the beginning of time, 
the enemy zeroed in, and his first target was what? The family unit. Look all the way back to the first family, Adam and Eve. Adam is called to lead his home. He lets temptation get into the garden. Eve sins. Adam joins her. The four punishments are handed out with some of those directly impacting the family unit. Genesis 3.15, it says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Don't say amen, anybody. Hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he'll strike your head, you'll strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And the lady said, amen. And in pain, you will give birth. Somebody invite Pastor Gavin over for Christmas this weekend. And your desire, you will desire to control your husband, but he'll rule over you. I was waiting for somebody there. God had a plan for the home, but sin created tension in the home. God did not, he did not start here. Desire is going to be to rule over you. There's going to be hostility. That's not where he started. Sin caused that. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And this hostility in the home that God warns about boils over. Because what's in a parent's heart, whether you intend to or not, is going to spill into the child's heart. Cain becomes the first murderer in the Bible and kills his own brother. We have arguments in our house sometimes between children, but I don't really think they're going to kill each other. Even though you say, don't kill each other, guys, but that's not really a real thing. Here it was a real thing. The Old and New Testament scriptures have shared numerous stories and biblical accounts of triumph and tragedy within a family. Look at the stories of David. Yeah, King David, a man after God's own heart. Yes, but do you want to live in his family? Look back in the stories of the generations of his, of his family. David commits adultery. He has a daughter, Tamar, who's raped by her half-brother, Amnon. And as you read through Scripture, there are power struggles, betrayals, murders, and more. Why? Because sin has always waged war on the family. Not just marriages, children, parental and uh, uh, relationships, but also in-laws, cousins, sisters, brothers, the enemy wants nothing more than to destroy the family unit. He tried again this past Sunday. My sister beat me in fantasy football, but I forgave her. But I forgave her. I'm not going to let that destroy Christmas. I did return her gift, but I'm not going to let it destroy Christmas. And sometimes, even during a beautiful time of celebration like Christmas... When we celebrate our Savior's birth to bring life, to defeat death, sin, hell, the grave, the tension can still aim to destroy families even at Christmas time. So tonight I want to share 10 biblical keys to dealing with family conflict. The good news for you is I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on each one of them. 
So get out your phone, get ready to type if you still take notes on paper, um, or if I'm being realistic, you're not going to take any notes, just stare at the screen and enjoy this message. But dysfunction, number one, key number one. I appreciate you, KK. You, you know, you always got my back. They're taking notes. I love that. Number one, all families experience a level of dysfunction. Now, you might be looking around here and think, well, they seem like a perfect family. Who are they? Point them out because nobody stood up. Sin is present in every family. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there are no perfect families. You might think there are at first glance, but every family unit has conflicts, challenges, and issues. Accepting this truth will alleviate the pressure of perpetuating facades that sabotage and avoid engaging in healthy conflict resolution. We will not change what we are not willing to acknowledge is a problem. So if you think, well, dear God, every time we get together, there's fights. I can't stand each other, but we'll just pretend, smile, and we'll just push it off till next Thanksgiving. Ain't nothing getting better. What we are not willing to acknowledge is a problem, is going to remain a problem. Acknowledging the dysfunction does not mean that it's accepted or warranted, but acknowledgement is the first healthy step toward resolution. Key number two, always love and prioritize your family. First Peter 4.8 says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. It does not say pointing out the sins covers a multitude of sins. It's very easy to point out where someone else is failing. But scripture says make allowance for one another's faults. Developing a healthy family requires love and time. How important is your family to you? Well, if God prioritizes love and his word over and over and over again, when was the last time that you told your family member those simple words? I love you. Oh, they know I love them. Well, it's proven power in those words. I'm glad Jesus didn't just say, I love you one time in Scripture. I'm glad that over and over again, he reminds us of his love for us. So I'm talking about the spouse relationship. Child, parent, cousin, sister, brother, aunt, uncle. I'm just not comfortable with that. Get comfortable with that. What in the world's wrong? Scripture says it. If you're not comfortable, start practicing with Jesus. Jesus, I love you. God, I love you. And then start to go, honey, I love you. Kids, I love you. Siblings, parents, I love you. There should be love. And if you're not comfortable with the concept of expressing love, there could be something in there that you need to work through. Because Scripture says God is love. 
So if you're not comfortable with the concept of love, you're not comfortable with God. And so I, I think that's something that we got to stop and go, I better dive into that a little bit. Well, there was my upbringing, this and that. I understand. But we've got to be to the point where we don't carry brokenness into future generations. Our children, our families need to hear us going, I love you. Being critical and judgmental without any compassion can be detrimental to the family dynamic. Love demonstrates care and prioritization shows importance. Our family members need to feel loved, accepted, and important. Communicating love to our family is your power base. It will speak for us even when words are not spoken. Number three, key three, choose your battles wisely. What in the world? They put Sprite in the punch, and I like 7-Up. Is that really worth ruining Christmas over? One passage, Old Testament passage written about the Israelites said, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Maybe you just write that passage. Write it somewhere, you know. I'm not preaching tattoos and stuff, but I mean, you could write that temporary just, just for the Christmas weekend. Don't allow the need to be right to cause you to engage in unnecessary confrontations with family members. Be selective in your approach to conflict resolution. Ask yourself, what are the spoils and the rewards for winning this argument? And you know what? You might want to just carry this on through Christmas and bring it home throughout 2024. Because, oh yeah, this past year, my record was greater than Jackie's in winning arguments. <laughs> what do you exactly get for that? Well... Um, a tenuous marriage. So what's the point? And so we count the cost. It might not be worth the fight if there's no substantial returns on our investment. Reserve your fight for what really matters. Not everything is important. Why win the battle but lose your family in the process? Sometimes we just need to learn to just let things go. Key number four, manage your emotions. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls, which in that day and age, Old Testament, you didn't have walls around your city. It's just a matter of time. It's not like, oh, you might be falling to an enemy. You would, it's just a matter of time till the next people coming through, you'd be destroyed as a city, as a, as a nation. And so it's imperative that we keep our emotions and our behaviors in check. That can be really hard. Ready for this? When you feel like someone has attacked you wrongly. But it can be even harder when you feel like somebody has wrongly attacked your children. It's hard enough. Somebody attacks me. I can be like, you know what? I disagree. I can be, Jesus, help me. Bless them, God. Somebody attacks my children. I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, I'm the pastor. I love Jesus.
scripture says, Ephesians 4, 26, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. Man. So if you're sitting here and you're angry about something, how many sunsets have gone down on that anger? You might need to find an altar tonight before you leave. That seems like, whoa, straightforward, but based on what I read there, if I'm living from sunset to sunset and anger's destroying me, I might need to get to an altar really fast. The ability to demonstrate temperance and self-control, it's not only a fruit of the Spirit. People will know us by the fruit we bear, and if we're not a forgiving person, self-control, temperance, if we don't have that in our lives, we're not walking in the Spirit. That's not a judgment call. That's a know them by their fruits call. And a fruit of the Spirit says we should have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So if I'm lacking in one of those areas, I'm not walking in the Spirit to the full capacity in which God's calling me to walk. And so this isn't just for me and him and our relationship. This is Christmas time, family, marriage. This is children. This is all of it. This is the whole thing. I don't only want to walk and operate in the gifts of the Spirit and not have the fruit. Behaving irrationally and with undis with an undisciplined will add fuel to the fire. Strife and contention will cause unwanted storms and trouble in your home. So we must all lo learn how to develop coping skills and anger management techniques when trying to resolve family issues. And it starts with having that control. Well, I just said it and it slipped out. And then you're saying I have no control over my tongue. That's not the way God wants us to live. Key five, communicate life and not death. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Communication is the hub of the family. The lack of effective communication can be detrimental. Our words have the power to kill or make alive. Notice, the passage did not say that only death is in the power of the tongue. We sometimes preach that we can destroy people with our words. But if I'm reading that passage correctly, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So as much as I can cut with my tongue, I can also build up. I can destroy or I can speak life. We must speak. Do we, we can't. And notice it does say we, that, we, that they're in the power of the tongue. The tongue, one of the primary reasons we have a tongue is to speak. And it's amazing that James says, 
It's an unruly member. It can't be tamed. God says, you know what? Check this out. I'm going to fill people with my spirit, and I'm going to use that thing that can't be tamed as the sign that they're now filled with the Holy Ghost. They're going to speak with other tongues. That's beautiful. And so once we've been filled with his spirit, that tongue has been used to glorify God. And from that moment on, we should be using that to speak life. And not just, oh, I hope things go away. I'll just ignore them. It was just a bad episode. And I'll just close my eyes and click my heels three times and pretend that nothing ever happened. And then we'll show up to Thanksgiving and everything will be good. No, they'll just have fake smiles. Speaking profanity and negative words to each other is something we have to avoid. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Just stop there. We just fly through that passage. In the last week of your life and of my life, I can't say that. Can you? Has everything you've said in the last week of your life been good and helpful? I mean, is this scripture? We love Acts 2.38, and I love it. I'm going to preach it. But, I mean, isn't this the inspired word of God, too? And it says everything that we speak should be good and helpful. I'm convicted when I read that. I'm standing in front of you with this microphone, and I'm convicted talking to you while I'm standing here. Because not every word I've spoken in the last week has been good and helpful. But I'm not just going to go, yeah, but that's life. That's not realistic. If somebody said, yeah, you know, I'm not going to speak in tongues and get the Holy Ghost. That's, that's life. It's just not realistic. Not we would be like, oh, yes. God's plan is for everybody to speak in tongues. We better get that same passion with principles for life. It should be good and helpful so your words will be an encouragement to those who hear. I don't want to just be good in front of you and go, oh, yes, God is good church. He's great and greatly to be praised. And then I go home and my kids hear me go, yeah, Emily's back from school. Good God. I mean, just that woman drives me crazy. I would never say that, but. I'm not going to say that and then be like, did you hear Michael was on sound? Does that guy even have ears to hear? My Lord, I couldn't even hear anything today. The guy's terrible at what he does. And then my kids are hearing. My kids are hearing things about Michael and Emily. I don't want to live my life like that. I want to use my words to edify and to build up because it's not just building up the person. It's not just forming my day, but everyone around me who hears those words. Do you realize you set a culture in your family, around your dinner table? You set a culture in the ministries in which you serve. You set a culture in the area in which you sit. You carry a culture around with you everywhere you go. Can I ask you, 
What does that culture look like? I, I can't tell you. I don't follow you around everywhere. So you have to decide that. What does, what does your culture in your bubble look like? Because you set one up every day. So do I. And when I read this, I go, man, there's some room for improvement in my life. Proverbs 15, 1 to 4 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I'll just tell you right now like it is. Okay, what do you get for that? Because my scripture says, speak the truth in love. So if I'm going to speak truth, I want to make sure every time I do it, it's not to win an argument, prove a point. It's I want to do it with love. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. The mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. What a picture. Imagine just sitting at a table. Everyone here would be like, oh, my Lord. But we better think the same thing when somebody's like, hey, um, did you see Sister So-and-so? You got to start thinking. I pray to God right now that the next negative conversation you're a part of, you actually look at the person and hear them belching. (laughs) The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Choose to speak life into your family, but it's difficult I'll say this, it's difficult to impossible to speak life if there's not life in your own soul or spirit. It's, I mean, I can't, you, can't, you can't walk up to a banana tree and be like, hey, the first time I get to use this. You can't walk up to a banana tree, which this obviously is not one, but let's pretend, and go, bananas! Give me apples. Do that in public sometime. You won't spend Christmas with family. Give me apples. It's a banana tree. I'm going to give you apples. Because that's not the fruit that it bears. And so we can start saying, you know, I got to try harder. I just got to watch my mouth. Your mouth is not going to speak life and love and peace and patience and goodness and gentleness if that's not what's in your spirit. Words are the overflow of what's inside. Key six, master the art of listening. James 1.19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We've heard the saying that God gave us two ears and one mouth because he wanted to do us to do twice the hearing and less talking. Listening is a great tool to resolve issues and conflicts in the family. There's listening to wait for someone to stop talking so you can talk. And there's listening to try to understand what someone's saying. 
Many solutions, some problems in the family may not require fixing. They might just require listening. Many solutions are discovered by listening to the concerns of others. Allow your family members the opportunity to be heard during discussions and disagreements. I mean, you might be a Republican, and you're getting ready to get together with Democrats. You might be a Democrat, and you're getting ready to get together with the Republicans. Just control your tongue, whatever side you're on. Be wise. This sends a message to them that, hey, when I listen, I'm saying you're important. You know, I think about God. He's our Father. He's omnipotent, omniscient. And he humbles himself every day to listen to me and my concerns. Man, I hope I can do the same for other people. Key seven, practice prayer and forgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, when you're praying first, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. A life of continuous prayer and forgiveness is a major key for dealing with conflict in the family. Prayer and forgiveness is therapeutic because it helps us heal. It's a challenge for any family to live free of offense. There, there will be disagreements and misunderstandings. Proverbs 18, 19 says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. They do that to friends, they can do it to family too. It's difficult to resolve issues and reconcile with someone who's unforgiving and uncooperative. But we've been given in 2 Corinthians 5 the, recon, the ministry of reconciliation. Now that's easier said than done. But in order to do so, we, it's imperative. We have to have a consistent prayer life. Pray for all your family members. Jesus taught us we should love our enemies. And do you know that forgiveness is not a gift to the person? Forgiveness is a gift to yourself. Refusing to forgive someone's like stabbing yourself and hoping your enemy feels it. I mean, like, who would do that at Christmas? Cut the holiday ham. Wait, do you like that? What? No. Free yourself from the bondage of unforgiveness. Key eight, show honor and respect. Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and mother. I wish my kids were up here. Say it again. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God's given you. You know, respect and honor are entirely two different things. Honor is external. It's a gift that's freely given as an act of reverence and value. Respect is based on an internal attitude of high regard towards someone of earned or merited behaviors. People who are honorable should be respected. People who are respected should be honorable. The Bible tells us children should honor and obey their parents. Children should not be provoked into anger, but nurtured and directed in the ways of the Lord. Husbands and wives should have love, respect, and reverence toward one another. 
and a family that lacks honor and respect for each other will be a breeding ground of brokenness with a high level of dysfunction if there's not mutual love and respect in that family. Two keys left. Key number nine. Protect your privacy. Everyone should not have access to your private matters. Confidentiality is the protection of data and information that only certain people should have access to. Privacy is the, we, we, we choose the appropriate persons to divulge private matters to. And just in case this isn't, this doesn't go without being said, I should go ahead and say it. Social media is rarely appropriate when sharing private matters of tension and disagreement. You know, I just wish that people would, I'm like, I don't even know what's going on in your life. I'm not even going to read the rest of this statement, but this is not the place to put it. I'm going to, who, who does that? Like, hang on a second. I'm going to go for a moment and put a passive-aggressive comment on social media, <laughs> hoping that somebody reads it and it just gets to them. Because research shows that's effective. Remember to protect yourself and the people you love. Focus on being both integral and ethical. Because build, build on family integrity and not just reputation. Your family's reputation and the public's perception does matter. However, integrity in private matters. And your family's personal perception at home should be our number one priority. Really, what good is it if everyone in this church thinks you're amazing and your family doesn't think you're amazing? I don't, I don't want that. I want, I want my wife and kids to have the, high, the highest opinion of me. I hope you all like me and think well of me. But they're the most important people. And I hope that what they see and hear at home makes them want to follow me. My dad always was raised me saying, Gary, you'll never have to have a conversation with your wife about submission and all that. If you love and pursue God and you're a man of integrity, your wife and kids are going to want to follow you. Private matters. Now, I will say this. Before I move on, it's important to mention this. Private matters that involve situation of abuse, mental, sexual, spiritual, physical, whatever, or mistreatment should be handled with care. And these things should be immediately reported to the proper authorities and counselors right away. Don't mess with that. So what I'm talking about, don't make family matters public and stuff. I'm talking about... You know, there was an argument, and we put it on, on social media. But if there's something going on in your home, make someone aware right away. You don't have to, you don't have to continue in that. Don't do that. I still say social media is not the place to go. Pastor, authorities, police, something. Key number 10. 
Seek professional counseling and therapy if needed. Now, I know we grew up in a church where, bless God, you didn't ever need that. And I still believe that God's more powerful than any doctor, counselor, or anything. I still believe we can lay hands on the sick, whether it's sick mentally, emotionally, whatever that is, and that they can be healed. I believe that wholeheartedly. But if you're going, I've prayed, I've come to an altar, things aren't getting better, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in my marriage, struggling with my anger, I'm struggling with substance, I'm struggling with whatever, then get help. Get help. There's nothing wrong with that. Proverbs 11, 14 says, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Conflict resolution can be a difficult task to handle. There are times when you've done everything you can for an extended period of time, and it's just not getting any better. Professional counseling and therapy may be needed. Don't be ashamed or afraid to ask for help. Again, I think sometimes maybe in decades past, it was... You know, I prayed, and I feel like if I do this, people are going to look down on me because I'm not saved or I don't have enough faith. That's not the case. This is, this is a refuge. This is a safe place, okay? And so don't be ashamed or afraid to ask for help. It's beneficial to have someone who is skilled, trained, and qualified to mediate family conflict. The goal is to resolve any issues that are hindering the family. Because at the end of the day, if you were raised in a home where your parents beat you, left bruises and cuts on your body, and that was what you were trained to do, and then all of a sudden, subconsciously, you're like, well, I'm going to have kids, and I'm getting angry, and I'm starting to raise my fist up. That's not the time to just go, I'm just going to pray harder next time. No, no. Go get help. Get someone involved that can help you with anger management, that can help you with some of the wounds that you experienced as a child and work through some of these things. Don't just wait and hope for the best. Be proactive. Be willing to receive wisdom. Be courageous to put in the work for positive change. And so tonight, 10 Ten keys to dealing with conflict in family. Kind of an intriguing time for us to do this, but I really felt to do it even weeks ago when I first started praying and found this article and started looking into it because I know that we could say, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, everybody. Everybody have a great Christmas. But I know that a lot of people may not have a great Christmas or be looking forward to it or dreading it. There might be family tension. And so for me, I thought, you know what? We're going to look into principles for life, 10 real things that'll be great for getting together with our families, but great long beyond when Christmas ends. And we go back home with our spouses, our kids, interact with families. These are things that the Bible says, you can know by the fruit they bear. Let's make sure the fruit's healthy. But I can't make fruit healthy just by wishing it or just praying, Lord, I gotta make sure that this is healthy. And so I'll make sure that I'm reading the word, praying and fasting and seeking God. If I need to, seeing somebody about things that 
maybe have gotten in there that, eh, I don't like that. So Christmas is here. Like I said this past Sunday, you can stand to your feet. Jesus Christ came to preach liberty, to free the captive, to heal the brokenhearted. And you might be standing here or watching online going, yeah, I'm hurt, I'm broken, stuck in a family situation. I don't know what to do. It's difficult. It feels impossible. Start tonight by bringing it to an altar. And that doesn't mean this altar is only going to be filled with people who are struggling and have terrible problems on their hands. But this altar is going to be open to every one of us. Certainly, if you're feeling broken, stuck in a family situation, not knowing what to do, come to this altar tonight and find a place to pray. But if you're going, you know, everything's like going pretty good. I'm actually excited. I'm looking forward to getting together with family. There's no tension there. Still come to an altar to where you can go, God, help me to examine the fruit in my life. Help me to make sure that this is healthy. Because people can go from being healthy to unhealthy pretty quick. And I don't want to do that spiritually. I don't want to feel like I'm okay today and then I just kind of coast and a couple months from now, temper's out of control, saying and doing things, stuff, not doing stuff that I should be doing, doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. No, I want to make sure that I want to walk as a man of integrity. And I think that's what all of us are aiming for, walking as a woman or a man of integrity. Going, God, help me, Jesus. Help me. When conflict rises, help me to follow these principles. Help me to be the man or the woman that you're calling me to be, God. But in order to do so, I got to look at what's in here. Jesus, I need you today. And so I invite you, as we get ready to head into Christmas, just to find a place to pray this, this evening. To just find a place at this altar and just to, just to think about the keys and the principles that were given to think about the scriptures that were read, to think about the various aspects in which you personally were challenged. Maybe not everything has challenged you, but certainly one of those 10 things probably did. Just begin to pray about that. There's no perfect family. There's no perfect individual. But Lord, I, I want so bad to reflect your image. I want so bad to be like you. I want so bad to walk in your spirit and to bear the fruit of your spirit in my life, God. Help me, Jesus.